Hi, this is Cleveland Watkins, and you're listening to Valiant MC on the Vocal Podcast. Check it, check it, check it, check it, check it.
everybody. This is Valiant MC. Welcome to another episode of The Vocal. That track you hear right now is Space Time by Caliber, featuring Cleveland Watkins and vocals. And he is our special guest interviewee. We go in-depth for about an hour. But before that, DRS calls to check in about his new album that he just released on a Space Cadet label entitled From the Deep. And I very recently nearly had a heart attack because my laptop fell. And there was some hard drive damage, but after about a week it decided to wake up. And I was delighted to find out that I did not lose the interviews, even though I had to re-record this podcast. So we're going to hear more by Cleveland Watkins, as well as DRS and some other favorites of mine. But before that, we're going to hear one from me and Will Miles, entitled Drifting off my 2018 EP, The Ronin. So keep your ears open and your eyes closed. This is The Vocal. No matter how far I'm drifting, you're right there. Pull me back to you. Pulling me back to you.
how far I drift away. You're always right there, pulling me back to Earth. It's always you. It's only you. I see you holding your head. This pain's got you locked in the cycle of dread. You're a prisoner, medicated visitor Dancing with the devil, it's just like you said Since the day I met you, I wanted just to tell you I was all in, I'm falling, looking for feelings to fest you I knew about the burden that you carry But I'd be goddamned if I ran Because I'm blessed to be the one to be your champion Your beast of burden, look beneath the surface Very different version, it's you that's lifting me up Wandering the desert, now I'm entering the promised land Take me by your promised hand I wanna be the one to carry you, be the one to marry you, even if it's scary to Cause I can't be the one to take away your pain, but I still want you to take my last name Again, that was myself and Will Miles with Drifting. Coming up next, we got one from Break, featuring the talents of Cleveland Watkins and MC Fats. It's called Midnight Classic. Gonna keep this bubbling. This is the vocal.
Elastic Midnight Classic <laughs> Make your minds good by the ride My combined tonight Make your minds good by the Gang Manchester for life, and you listen to Valiant MC on the vocal podcast. Cheer, cheer, cheer. Risk everything for highs and lows. Worth anything, then let it go. Best the devil back, you know. Swear I never stoop this low. It's best the devil back, you know. So many drugs you couldn't take in one sitting Welcome to Great Britain From the look in your eyes can see you're living your life And you push it to the very limit We saw and we dive but you're dull in your lights Like you're done and out your inner spirit You tell the story of lies while we fall from the skies Like you're screaming but nobody is it Cause you and me could change time and go straight Like the arrow from a bow Clean life I don't know While I'm better not a shot off on my phone Ten minutes yeah cool on my own and that's how easy it is when you're dealing with these highs and lows that we can't control. And that's how easy it is when you're fighting with these highs and lows. Risk everything for highs and lows. Worth anything, then let it go. Best the devil back, you know. Swear I never stoop this low. It's best the devil back, you know. Back, you know. So many sins you couldn't bless with one book. This life is a wrong look. I made a decision that kept running We're trying to block the pain but it doesn't Washing money down the drain buzzing Deep water swim against current No hope of glory in this game cousin Deep water swim against current Cause me and you could get high And forget the shit that's all gone wrong Only problem is it doesn't last that long Only problem is it doesn't last that long Last that long Cause me and you could get high And forget the shit that's all gone wrong Only problem is it doesn't last that long the highs are never last that long, last Risk that long. Risk everything for highs and lows. 
Worth anything, then let it go Best the devil that you know Swear I never stoop this low It's best the devil that you know in a downhill spiral I can be the petrol You're the fibro Watch me borrow money No I fully can't pay back Screaming at my last mess You can't say that Only I say that While I take another ice age pack That I can't pay back Only I say that While I take another ice age pack That I can't pay back Now we're getting run down By the fish shotters Looking for the funds now On the run now Big debts and violence And heavy come downs Big debts and violence And heavy come downs Now we're getting run down By the fish shotters Looking for the funds now On the run now Big debts and violence And heavy come downs Big debts and Violence and every Risk everything for highs and lows Worth anything then let it go Best the devil that you know Swear I never stoop this low It's best the devil that you know Risk everything for highs and lows Worth anything then let it go Best the devil that you know Swear I never stoop this low Best the devil that you know third album from the deep that was drs with better the devil you know the entire album was produced by pitch 92 who's releasing his own album called third culture it's got a whole slew of guests on there so be sure to check it out this track coming in right here is from the one and only mc tally this is off our album love and migration And it's the first track entitled Situations featuring Maka and Vector. And Tally, if you're listening, please drop me a line on Instagram because I want to have you on here for a conversation soon. So everybody listen close. This is the vocal.
one we got coming in is by Schematic and a Hungry Tea featuring Grim. Little Toronto special for everybody. It's entitled Lay You Down and this is the vocal. Yeah. 
Total Science collaborated with Laura Pacheco, MC Conrad, DJ Craze, and Armani Rain for a track called Up in Smoke. And watch out for MC Conrad on this one. By this point, he'd been doing a lot of singing on his sets, and he had not been doing a lot of rapping like he was known for back in the day. And this track was a return to that form for him. And he definitely goes in. Check it out, everybody. This is the vocal. Once you locked on, head down, deep, calm, 
Them to silent, yeah She needs my attention and patience, them, And that's fair enough What are we gonna miss anyway? A couple Facebook videos of black male squaring up As if hell wasn't near enough It's so near to touch It's alright right, It's alright, yeah If we just chill tonight Smoke a suit and listen to some music It's alright Yeah. 
Let's go to smoke at the back door We hold or taking shelter from the rain The next door neighbor's fire So holding on the smell of these meds is a pain I know he smells it While the sound of the kettle boiling drowns At the tapping of the rain dancing on the conservatory roof I don't care long as I'm here with you and that's truth We catch joke as we play fight All the way back through the kitchen in stitches That's truth You can go through playlists, see your favourite songs I don't care what we're listening to And that's truth It doesn't matter girl as long as it's you As long as it's you You can go through playlists, see your favourite songs I don't care what we're listening it's to It's alright DRS from his new album from the deep the track is entitled chill tonight and this next one coming in brings a smile to my face every time this is the Makoto remix of a collaboration between DJ Patifa and Cleveland Watkiss on their cover of the Stevie Wonder classic overjoyed an appropriate tune once you hear the interview between myself and Cleveland so listen up and let go. This is the vocal. Oh, 
so the vocal is brought to you by Duddy Bass Audio, that is D-U-T-T-Y Bass Audio. Look for them on Juno Download, look for them on Instagram, look for them on Facebook. And also brought to you by DNB Refined, so go to freshpapercut.com slash DNB Refined for all your drum and bass swag needs. Soon we're going to hear the short conversation with DRS as well as our long-form interview with Cleveland Watkins. But first, we got a track as a Jasmine remix of Jill Scott's Golden. And I really don't know who Jasmine is. I remember buying the record back in the day, wondering who it was and never really finding out. So if anybody out there knows, please drop me a line because I feel very uninformed. Please spread the word on Instagram, on SoundCloud. Facebook, on Twitter. Want to thank everybody for their support. All the listeners out there, all the messages I've been getting. We've got more big guests in the pipeline coming soon. Everybody out there, be safe and support each other. This is The Vocal.
What's up, dude? Yeah, I'm good, man. Yourself? Yeah, I've just been shoveling this fucking snow. Dude, we got hit, like, the last two days like crazy. Been here yeah. as well, man. Nothing yeah. like yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, people have fucking mine. <laughs> All right, so I, I won't take up too much time. I just wanted to uh, ask you a couple things. Um, all right, so yes, I think a lot of people are probably wondering how this uh, this album came about. Yeah, um, there's two reasons. The first reason is like the obvious life life stuff and ups and downs and you know back, back and forth of of life and loss and you know all that stuff, which is obvious when you listen to the album. But the other reason is the photographs on the cover, like that's been manipulated on the actual cover of the record. All right. Front and back sleeve is pictures of an octopus, which a friend of mine took, and I was just flicking through his through Instagram one day, and the scene, and I was like, "What the fuck is that?" Like, and he was like, "Yeah, I took, I took him." Like, I was like, "Take them down. I'm gonna write an album to go with that." <laughs> really? Okay. So, but how did you make the leap yeah. from an octopus? to talking about like love, basically, love and life and loss and all that. I was looking at it. It's like, you know, it's it's like the Kraken or something. It's like this deep fucking, you know, this, you know what I mean? It's, it's basically when I looked at it and I thought, I'm going to write a project so I, so this can be the cover. I thought this can't be no shallow surface, like, you know what I mean? And I, I even had the name when I seen it. I was like, from the deep. I don't know why, like, so then... Yeah, I had to, um, yeah, I, I had to write something substantial to the, to, to be wary of the, the pictures I felt. And then obviously at the same time, the, the other half of things, all the life stuff and what we talked about earlier, it is, yeah, it's an accumulation of both of them things. Well, and, and obviously the third is pitch sending me beats in the midst of all that, like, you know, I met him, and um, the first track on the album, Clipping My Wings, was the first track we did together. So, first of all, let's backtrack to, to him a little bit. How did you guys meet, and uh, what made you guys decide to want to work together? And then, after after you kind of start answering that, I want you to also kind of tell me why you decided to distinctively uh, make a, an entire album that was not drum and bass related. Like, how come this particular album called for, like, one artist, as opposed to what you've done in the past where you collect a bunch of artists together? Right. How I Met Pitch, um, a, a hip-hop artist from the UK, he's pretty, like a big underground artist called Verb T. He approached me to do a feature on his album, which I later found out was a collab album with him and Pitch 92, my the producer for this my album. So, in the process of of me recording a vocal and sending it to him and there 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 and then loving the the outcome of that track, I was just like, oh, send me some beats in it. And then he sent me one. We did it. Um, you know, it, which was clipping my wings, the first track on the album. Um. Yeah, and it just felt good and just organic and I like how, you know, like there's no samples on the album as well. It's all live and then he sampled somebody playing it live, you know. So, yeah, I love right. that about him. Love, he's just, yeah, he's, he's just refreshing and just just a bad man and he can like do any style of hip-hop or 
yeah, he's you know he never ceases to amaze me what what he does. So it was just a real, yeah, it was just like we was definitely gonna. It was in the stars that we was gonna do work together on something. I just didn't know it was gonna be this. Um, yeah, and then the second part of your question was, I just like it wasn't even a conscious thing. It was just for it to not be drum and bass. It was just. I just wanted the space, people to have the space and the air to, between what I'm saying to take it in. Do you know what I mean? Because right. at, at the, at the, you know, just once, just once in my life, I just, you know what I mean? I just want like, because I know a lot of stuff goes past people, really important stuff goes past people sometimes when it's it's hidden in the vibe of, you know, the track and it, you know, like, it's it's you know it's it's inevitable because it's dance music. It's not listening music. Do you know what I mean? So this is more. I just wanted to say, look, this I'm probably the most vulnerable, broken, like you know, lowest points of my existence in forty three years on on of being here. Um, I wanted to document that and. Like oh, this is all like not consciously this, but this is what it's, it's become. I want you know I want to document that time because I know, you know, I'm not the only person on earth who who, who feels lost and who feels pain and who feels you know we all feel the same. So I just want like I don't know I I just wanted to put out there that I feel like that I you know. um to maybe help you if you feel like that kind of thing, because maybe you haven't hit the bottom where I am, and I can, you know, I can help you to avoid going that far down. Do you know what I mean? Right. If you just, right. If you can, so yeah, for numerous reasons, the that wasn't planned. Um, yeah, that's the reason. It's the reason why it's it's not a drum and bass album. I hope that makes sense. No, no, it does. And I was actually when I when I gave it the first couple of listens, I I noticed even though the songs are like you know three and a half and four minutes long, you sound um, a lot freer because you know with drum and bass, and I I kind of go through the frustrations too on my tracks. It's like okay, I got to do sixteen bars here. There needs to be a hook here. There needs to be a breakdown here. And then we get you know it's 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 very structured. And I think it's a, it's very limiting. So you have to like find your strength within the limitations here. It, it almost felt conversational because you didn't have to worry about that. So that was like the yeah. first thing I noticed right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. That's um yeah, yeah. That's a very fair analysis. I agree with that. It's just, yeah, just like, yeah, I want it. I want it to be like, it's personal. I'm bearing like, you know, bearing like my inner, inner, you know secrets to the world just to like so i could shed light and uh, you know because there's light comes from darkness in it you know what i mean so it's just as a, as an artist who you know creates in more in so many different mediums i'm just yeah it's just and you know it's good to keep people guessing it's good to you know if the, if it's a substandard product and then so it's not drum and bass and it's substandard or it's not there, 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 which is also, you know, beauties in the eye of the beholder and all that. So, you know, but from my opinion, if it was substandard or what, whatever, then, you know, I think people have a cause for concern or to, to, 
to speak, you know, to have their opinion on that. But I just feel like it's my best work to date. I think people will get over the shock pretty quickly, I think. And yeah, I've got a year, you know, I've got a year's worth of drum and bass releases coming. Yeah, you know, I've, there's already 280 releases out there for people to, that if, if they want to hear some drum and bass, they've probably missed a few in there. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, I'm not, it's not, a, it's not like a step from drum and bass. It's nothing. It's just, I'm an artist and I, you know, I just want to paint a different, clearer picture for people just once, you know? Yeah, speaking of painting pictures, I, uh, I, I told you, I told you last week after listening to the album that, uh, Chill Tonight's my favorite, my favorite cut on that album. And part of it is because, uh, I, it, yeah, you paint a picture. And so when I was listening to that track and I heard you talking about the sound of the rain on the conservatory rooftop and that image of like you and a girl smoking at the, at the back door and your neighbor's a cop. And that whole thing was more vivid than I had heard from you previously. And, uh, like I said, that ties into the, how you sounded freer. The other thing that struck me about that track was the fact that it was clearly written from somebody who was a little bit older. And we talked about this in the last interview, how we're like, we're a little older in our lives right now. And, uh, the idea of not going out at our age is like, is almost more appealing (laughs) than going out. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's like, it's like taking those, um, enjoying those, those little things about somebody and with somebody is like the best part of life. And that is why that track really stuck with me. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted you to tell me, um, for that track in particular, um, was that inspired by like a real night? I mean, or you just kind of painting a semi fictitious picture? No, it's, it's, it's like so many nights, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, you know, so many nights in, in with my girl and yeah, the, you know, kids are in bed and fucking, you know, she'll, she'll have a cigarette, I'll have a zoot and you know, like, like I say, the neighbor is, <laughs> the neighbor's son is five up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, you know, it's always pissing down in Manchester. She's always making a brew. So it was just like, it was just remembering, you know, I've got, like I say, it comes back down to the tempo. It's like, I've got time to go into detail rather than just saying like, you know, summing it up, smoke, smoking at the door, whatever, you know, I've got the time to say, look, the, the sound of the rain, I mean, the sound of the kettle boiling is drowning out the sound of the rain dancing on the conservatory roof. Like, that's the, like, you know what I mean? I, I, like, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. That's it. It's some of my best words ever. Yeah, it's just po- it's poetry, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know, and... and the other, the other thing that struck me about that track is actually when you made mention of, you know, what are we going to miss? You said a couple of, couple of social media posts, but then you also happened to mention, uh, videos of black men squaring up and yeah. as if hell yeah. could be any closer. And I liked how you kind of wove from these kind of personal stream of consciousness things about, you know, love and enjoying each other into like this social commentary. And it was, no, but it's connected. It, well, that, that's just it. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like they're connected and like, I like you, oh, it's n- nothing's ever separate except in tracks sometimes, especially with drone bass, you know, your concepts have to be very kind of delineated and here you're, it's just like your brain is going back and forth naturally the way it would normally. 
in it's the because track. it's because while you're doing this, while you're enjoying the the your you know a lovely night in with your partner or whoever that is, you're you know you constantly your attention is being drawn away from them constantly to you to whatever you you know your device is you know what I mean like and it's constantly calling you whether it's a game whether it's a you know a, a social media platform whatever it is. It's constantly there calling you, and that's what I'm saying. And when I do go to it, all these suggested things on on my, you know, whatever the site's thing is, is that's all I see in it. It's just like, oh, a rapper gets robbed. Oh, and, you know, some a fight breaks out with a black guy in the security. Oh, it's this. Oh, you know, and it's just that's what I'm saying. It's like hell can wait for you know, and a few hours. Hell, hell will still be there. Yeah, you know, let's just let's just enjoy. Yeah, this yeah. Is, I just want to enjoy what what she wants to do because my you know because of the career I'm in and whatever it's all about me and it's it's it's, it's you know so ha, ha, me being available to be around from not touring or me not at the studio or whatever is is a rare thing in it so it's like when that happens like yeah I don't want to know about the phone I just got, I've got to leave it and like yeah that shit will have to wait in it you know yeah. what I mean like, yeah. Plus that one, that one's also my favorite beat, by the way. That, that's a sexy beat. So big up pitch 92. <laughs> he killed it yeah, on that yeah. one. Yeah, um, so you just put out a video, uh, serial escapist. Uh, so tell mm-hmm. me about the, the, the idea behind that track. Yeah. Well, the, the, the actual track and the concept of the video are separate, but they obviously they go hand in hand. The track is about me putting in a, like, painting a smile on a real dark subject and and you know creating this you know like i say this superhero character who you know gets high and who you know it's all hunky dories the spaceman and da 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 and it's all happy days you know what i mean but on the flip of it obviously if you're spending a lot of time you know d- doing extracurricular activities um, of of the night time, <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> right? <laughs> of the disco kind, um, you know, you know, you're not. It's not a good, you know. It stops being fun very, very quickly. You know what I mean? And and then starts to become dark, and you find yourself in dark places where, like, you know, you would never. If it wasn't for this, you know, whatever, the, whatever the uh, the catalyst for that behavior, you know, if it wasn't for that, you'd never be in them situation. You wouldn't be sat with these people and you wouldn't, you know, and that's not saying anything about the people. I'm just saying, you know, you personally and your path, you wouldn't have put yourself there. And, you know, so it's kind of the Walt Disney, that serial escape is like a Walt Disney version of addictions and, you know, stuff of that matter. So it's like, you know, I'm just like, yeah, I'm the space, you know, the spaceship, duh, 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 you know, bouncy and da da da. Like the whole album is really, you know, me painting a, a big smile over, you know, like a series, a bad, you know, series of unfortunate events. Yeah. What has caused you to act in a, in a certain manner to try and heal yourself, whether that's the right one or the wrong way, do you know? Are there any tracks in particular on the album that, uh, I don't know, maybe you connect with the most or it happens to be your favorite or is the most deeply cutting? There's a, there's a, um, 
They're all, like I say, they're pretty much every single one is about something that's going on with my life at the time or something. So they're all so personal. Obviously, like, you know, irreplaceable, you know, talking about the loss of friends and, you know, Marcus in particular, you know what I mean? And, and stuff like that. And then, like, you know, still no good is that, like, talking to my kids, like, like I say, I was saying, like, I don't know, it's, it's hard. You've got to make money. So how I make money is being away from my family. So, you know what I mean? Now, like, my oldest kids, like, my daughter's 18, now my son's 15. So it's like, you know, now, now that things are coming good and I can, you know, fees are going up and this and, you know, I can, I can breathe a bit. Now they're like, they don't want to sit with dad and they don't want to, you know what I mean? Like, they, they've got their own lives and it's, you know, it's all popping off for them. So it's like, I've worked, you know, it's, so that track is, you know, it's like I've worked so hard to be able to do, I'm going to be able to do now. And it's, it's too late. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you know, that might feel so. Well, no, I think there's a lot of regret that comes with being a parent, no matter what you do. Yeah. You know, and then career and, and obviously having, yeah, you know, everyone understands anyway who's listening, but yeah. So that's, you know, enemy saying sorry. And it's also me trying to explain, you know, and, and the power of music that would be there forever. So whatever they feel, you know, in the future or whatever, that's, uh, you know, that's like a, a solid, like, love letter to them, just saying, yo, man, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. When people listen to it, they'll know what we're talking about, but yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. yeah, you know. All right, so last last question before I let you go. Uh, in the video, you're getting your face tattooed. What are you getting, what are you getting tattooed on your face? Um, it was, what was on there, it was like 0161. <laughs> the area code. Oh, right, like right. A, it was like lean on over my eyebrow. There's like a, a broken heart on one cheek. Um, yeah, it was just, but the, like, like I say, the whole video is, is the story of like, it's two things. It's the story of modern day hip hop and what an artist, you know, like a, an impressionable artist think, will think they have to be involved into like, be a part of this thing because that's how it's marketed to to the people these days. You know what I mean? But at the set and, and on the flip, it's the story of like an older artist like myself who's who's like still trying to be relevant and still trying to fit in with with what's going on today in in the, in the culture that I help build and the culture that I breathe and love. You know, so it's like. It's it's obviously satire, but it's like, look, man, it, you know, this is what we feel like we have to do to be a part of this thing now. Whereas hip hop was being individual and like finding like some fucking mad Italian fucking kicks that that no one's ever seen before and putting laces in them and just making them like everyone will be wearing them just because you wore them. You know what I mean? That that's gone. It's like a bit more herded. And a bit more, but you know, like I say, because I love the culture and that, I love all that stuff too. It's the, I love it. It's art and it's just like how people express themselves now. You know right. what I mean? And like, yeah. Yeah, so I can't, you know, I'm not that, I'm not the older guy who's, you know, uh, fuck, you know, fuck, 
little pump and fucking whoever. Like, I'm backing them. They're bad. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're doing whatever. If it's ignorant and it's leading people, you know, times change and, you know, I can I can almost hear a change coming at, at the moment. Do you know what I mean? But it's just like, yeah, everyone has the time and everyone should say what they want to say. Do you know what I mean? As long as it's not you know, hurting too many people. Well, I think, I think a lot of it is comes from, you know, hip hop and just like punk rock and they're, they're young people's music in a way, you know, the culture yeah, is yeah, a, a young person's music. And, and it's like, never, no, but it's never because it's a young music, you know, cause human, the human, you know, mankind's young, but you know, cause hip hop's so young, it's never had a middle age. Right. This is like that saying that I'm, you know, this album is like a fully grown man who's still, loves this thing is still in it still touring still living the life and you know it's that's it's that's the other side of the story as well do you know what i mean so it's like yeah it's and i feel like even more than ever because people are saying oh they don't like what's going on now or whatever i feel like it's a bit of a this album is a bit of a bridge as well it's like look it's got little elements and this and that of of what's going on today but at the same time Obviously, it's causing, you know, yeah, hip hop, you know, yeah, in its definitely. earlier form, in its uh, you know, its earlier form, and you know, like with my my peoples, my absolute blood brothers, children of Zeus, you know, they've, you know, they've opened the door for that that sound, you know, and it's working, and it's you know, people are coming out, have been waiting for something to come out too, you know, and stuff like that. So it's just yeah, that's you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful, man. It's, it's still, and I and and also I don't look like oh the drum and bass scene and hip hop is a different scene. I think this culture is like it's you know it's it's gone from the culture has gone from like you know the four elements and da 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 to this like beautiful like picture that's like you know. Everything, you know, skateboarding and all this stuff is a, is a part of and drum and bass and all dance culture and, you know, to a certain degree, it's, it, it all stems from the same sort of wave of culture and, uh, and subculture and countercultures, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's beautiful and like, I just wanted to put, like, say, look, and it even says at the end of the video, it says, is this hip hop? This is hip hop, which is saying, look, just embrace, just embrace the new man. It doesn't mean you're at the concert and fucking biting the heads off bats with fucking whoever. And you know what I mean? It, it's, it means you're at home still loving the shit you love, but you've got to support this thing because this is what we created. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. All right. So, the, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying we created the monster, man. So, you know, it's, you can't complain when it's fucking eating fucking people <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's i like i like that's a good way to put it um <clears throat> all right so before i let you go uh your tour in north america you got a, like a two-part tour uh which yeah, is most- good i uh, probably a sanity saving way of doing the whole continent so that's uh um and then you're hitting up toronto uh the last date so i'll see you there um that's yeah. in march um all right man i'll talk to you soon all right all right take it easy brother all right thanks Have again a good day man peace This is living, I don't care what piff you're billing My crew of villains, out of spaces where we're living 
And I'll be on it till the day my body gives in My crew of villains, out of space yeah. is where we're living Northern Galactic Outlaw Mixed race pirate, the Caribbean Southport Me and mine go out more Blackout crew, how long have I been out for? Not the same shit you take It's triple X rated from under the counter My girl's an adventurer, don't ever doubt her My high she ministers can't live without her And that's real The daily grind, I don't feel Say with escapers with too much love in a world full of haters No such deal, letting off too much information Eyeballs rolling, and can't tell what's real or hallucinations Slaring my words with the loosest statements Ring every five cause I'm too impatient Too impatient While I stick up the V's out the roof of my spaceship This is living, I don't care what pimpy villain My crew of villains, out of space is where we're living And I'll be on it till the day my body gives in Villains out of space is where we're living. This is living, I don't care what pith you're building. My crew of villains out of space is where we're living. And I'll be on it till the day my body gives in. My crew of villains out of space is where we're living. Freight train, spaceship, vandal. Don't question what I can handle. Bullet both ends of the candle. 90s Walkman listening to Quest tapes, Gigi and DJ Randall. Yeah, that's family biz My eyes feel red hot under the lids Can't remember the name but it's making me trip My world falls back on itself like Inception Or a flip mode I don't shot highs but I've quite a collection Believe me that's the truth My bloodstream register a hundred proof Guest list me plus a hundred dudes We only go up never under you Never wonder who This is living I don't care what pimping villain My crew of villains out of space is where we're living And I'll be on it In the early days of me discovering drum and bass, um, and starting to come around to the idea of doing vocal work in drum and bass, one of the f- the first things I, I got deep into was uh, the Promised Land Volume Two that you did with Fabio. Mm. Wow! And that was, and I had heard your name before, um, but I yeah. had not heard you before until I heard that that particular disc. So, so doing a little background research on you. Um, I think the average person would probably be pretty astounded at your career. Your career is extremely wide ranging. Um, but one of the, the first thing, one of the first descriptors that comes up about you is that you are usually described as a jazz vocalist. And I want to know, do you think of yourself as a jazz vocalist or does that word not really come into your lexicon? Um, that's not how I describe myself. I mean, if I have to describe myself, I would call myself more of a vocal explorer. I just love everything to do with the making sound with the voice. And I mean, every aspect of it, you know, whether it's languages, um, I'm trying to learn some Russian now, <laughs> but, um, you know, whether it's, or it's, um, singing just a cappella 
or singing with choirs or orchestras or with a DJ. I love all the different aspects of utilizing the voice. And I think that just really coming out of um, how I was raised and stuff that I heard when I was a kid, you know. Um, I was exposed. Uh, uh, my earliest memories. Sorry, sorry. Do you want to? Do you want to say something here? Or? Oh no, 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 keep going? no, no. Go right. Keep yeah, going. keep running. Go. This is an informal conversation. So yeah, just keep. Yeah, so you, you know. So I think um, when I think back to my earliest recollection of music, it goes right back to listening to the radio when I was a little baby in my cot. You know, and I would just be a sponge and soaking everything up, uh, everything that was on the radio at the time. So, you know, I think that, that that's just really follows through with where I'm at at the moment where, you know, I'm able to do a lot of different things with my voice and work with a lot of different people. And I really love that. You know, I really love the idea that one week I can be, you know, some sweaty club with 150 people with a groove ride or something like that. Or the next month, next day I can be in a concert hall with an orchestra. So let's let's take this back then. Let's talk about um, your upbringing and kind of blend it into your education. I'm, you came up in uh, with a lot of music around in your family, correct? Well, with my dad, yeah, my dad was my dad wasn't a musician, um, but he was a, a great a great music taste. So being from the uh, from the Caribbean, we heard obviously a lot of the music that was coming out at the time, sort of sixties, late sixties. Uh, early, early to late sixties, was hearing um, a lot of um, yeah, the ska and blue beat and that kind of sound that was coming out of Jamaica at the time. But my dad was he, he played a lot of different type of music. I mean, he played like Oscar Peterson. You know, he's a big fan of uh, Oscar Peterson's. You go to Ronnie Scott's and with my other uncles, and you know, my dad was a sort of amateur DJ as well, so he was like big in the community at the time. In terms of when it came to the weekends, he was the one that, you know, supplied all the music and, you know, the, it was usually our house. So I remember loads of parties at my house when I was a kid. So music, yeah, I mean, I'm, sadly my father passed away when I was nine years old and my mum wasn't really, and there was eight of us. And uh, my mum, she wasn't um, musical necessarily, even though she, she did sing, but not professionally. So, so yeah, in a sense, it was. It's always been around. I mean, I went. I also remember in my um, infant and primary school that music was quite a big thing in our school at the time. You know, we heard a lot of different stuff. You know, it was quite a, an interesting school in that respect. In that, yeah, we were just exposed to a lot of different music. Yeah, I remember. And again, I think. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I remember reading somewhere that uh, they, they would play music in the opening assemblies for you guys, like classical music. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You know, they'll play like classical stuff. You know, we sit there and it was just part of the ritual of the day. You know, you just sit there and, 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 and they expected you to listen. And it was, I mean, what a great way for a kid to, um, you know, what a great discipline for a kid to have. You know, you, know, you, you start your day and you're listening to music, you know, in silence. So I think all those those kind of things really, you know, those things set in your ear when you're a young kid, you know. I mean, when they're all your, you know, all, all the sort of neutrons and everything are sort of wiring themselves up inside you, and, you know, and you're sort of, you, you, you know, you're finding your, um, what, what do you want to call it? The, um, yeah, you're just, your whole anatomy is being put together, you know. And these sounds, 
enhance that. You know, the stuff that you listen to as a child has a massive effect on uh, on every aspect of your life. In 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 essence, really, you know, it kind of forms a lot of who we are. You know, what we become. You know, just the vibrations that we're around when we're kids. I'm not sure exactly how uh, how it works over there, but did you have any kind of music classes and stuff like that in school growing up? Not when I was really young. I mean, I I I started to pursue that that in my late teens. So when I discovered that, yeah, it was kind of music that I really wanted to. I mean, my I think my family couldn't afford to take, you know take me to a music school or anything like that. But when I was able to start earning my own money in my late teens. I started, um, you know, looking for lessons and private lessons and studying like piano and guitar and just learning a bit more about how, how music functions in, in terms of, you know, playing an instrument and understanding the sort of like European concepts of music. You, you know, I wanted to ask you actually about that. You, I remember, um, I, re- I read, a, I tried to find a few interviews on you before I ever talked to you. And I remember you specifically saying that you studied piano in order to understand uh, Western concepts of harmony. Um, I yeah, want, expl- yeah. Explain I, I, what that I means. To, oh, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I wanted to, um, I wanted to understand like how you write a song, for instance, you know, how you put chords and melodies together and, you know, how all that functions in in theory and, and, and in practice. So it was something that I just set out as a challenge to do for myself. And that, yeah, that's, that's, that's so the piano still functions in that way for me. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a tool for, for writing and, you know, just getting to the other, other aspects of, uh, the, the music, musical stuff that I do. Now in the States, you know, musical education is considered part of the standard education, um, you know, mm. K through, through 12. A lot of times, especially in school districts where the funding is not as plentiful, uh, music and art are the ones that get cut first. Um, yeah. So that, which is why Same I was time. I was asking about uh, you know education there, and you were talking about your parents and stuff like that, and that that goes back to me too. Um, the music that I heard when I was a kid still resonates yeah. with me. Uh, the music teacher yeah. I had from grades one through eight uh, was probably my most influential teacher. In that sense, um, and I always think about how people who don't have access to that kind of education, how they might fall through the cracks, how we're losing a lot of our most talented members of the last generation and this generation and the next generation because musical education is lacking in a lot of ways. Even to people who are not as musically inclined, um, do you think it is something that is that we should... Uh, double down on as far as like funding is concerned Do, should we be putting forth even more government funding for this kind of thing simply for i would say like for the well-being yeah. of our students i mean yeah it, it goes without saying for me man that that we, it, it, it's, it's proven scientific facts that music enhances a, a, a child's growth and a great access uh and a great um facility for navigating your way your childhood through through and learning about how to interact with other people and you know it's, it functions on so many levels music and and and, and this is known they know this you know so this whole idea of dumbing down you know or, or just just not having cutting these music programs in schools and it's just it's just anti-social anti-human 
anti-human. Yeah, I like just, that. Yeah, it's, it's just wrong. You know, just wrong on so many levels, man. But the, but then you know the, the the remnant comes through because then the kids find it in other ways, and they and and, and hence you know the the, the sampler. You know, the kids that don't have that kind of access to music, uh, to formal music education where they're learning instruments and, or can even afford it, uh, you know, violin or guitar or bass, drums, or whatever, they come, they find other ways, you know, and that's, that's how we get the great music that we always got anyway, you know, it's through that rebel persistent spirit that comes through regardless of circumstance. Um, I want to, I'm a little confused on the timeline and for, for two things. Um, right. Uh, one, one, when you started the London school of singing and the other thing is when you decided that you were going to pursue music professionally and you basically stopped working a nine to five. So, okay. So the London school of singing happened probably when I was about 18 and I wanted to learn a bit more about the voice and I just found an ad in a, a paper and and, and uh, it said the London School is singing. I thought, oh, let me go along and see what's up. And I did, you know, I went along. But then I, I realized it was a uh, it was an opera teacher. I didn't I didn't realize that at the time. But the thing is, I just pursued it. I just thought, okay, well, it's not necessarily what I want to do, but I want to understand that world anyway. It's another form of you know, it's another aspect of the voice that I don't know about. So let me, let me continue. And I did, you know, and then I, and then I got a book where I was studying like technique and breathing and you know, all this kind of stuff. And what was the name of that book? The, the book's called the singer and the voice. Right. And who wrote that? It's written by Arnold Rose. Okay. okay. Who was my teacher at the time. And, um, man, I, I've never read anything so technical, man, about the voice in my life to this day. I mean, the book was so heavily technical, man. I didn't, half the words, man, I didn't understand what was going on. You know, remember, this is before Google and all this stuff. So it was really, really hard to, but the thing is, I, pers- uh, I pers- persevered with it. And I just, a lot of things started to click and started to make sense. Like, even though I wasn't, like I was saying, you know, I never used my voice in an opera way until, I mean, having said that, I, it did happen in a sort of jazz opera way, but we get to that. Um, so, uh, so the timeline, yeah. So, London School of Singing was sort of my 18, 19 years old. And, um, what was the other timeline you and, was asking? Well, about? when, when you decided to, uh, pursue oh, yeah, okay. music for professionally. Pursue, like, yeah. professionally. Okay. Well, it, I'll tell you what happened. I, I, I had a nine to five. And, um, what kind of job? I was working in, on, a, on a British Rail, but as a, a trainee technician, so I was out on the on the tracks, on the lines, and stuff like that. Okay, okay. Um, so learning sort of like radio, well, well, it was like learning about cables, and repairing cables, and stuff like that. You know. So I was doing this job, and you had a you had a family that. you had a family by by that yeah, point, yeah, correct? Yeah, just had our first <clears throat> just had our first child. I was at, I was at work one day, and and the, and the guy said to me, the, the, the supervisor was above me, turned around and said to me, "Look, Cleveland man, you're coming." You come in here every day and you're singing and, you know, I can see that you're really engaged in your music and you're not really focused on this job. You know, he said, my advice to you is, he said, why are you still young? You should pursue your music. And he said that to me, but he said it in a really, you know, nice and, 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 and loving way, you know, and I received it that way. And I, and I never, I never went back to, to the job. 
That's that's a ballsy that was, move with a young family. Exactly. You know. So so I you know I just realized that you know what he's a, he's really right and I need to uh, pursue this music you know right now while I'm while I'm still relatively young and 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 have this passion. And, so and, and that's what I did. You know, I just I didn't I didn't turn back. You know, just. So what was one of the first things that you did uh, musically that helped well, you the Well, the first thing I did was I got the part in a, in a, because I do a bit of acting as well. Oh, okay. Um, so I studied drama with a fantastic American, actually, um, teacher, a guy named Ray Shell, um, who was based in London in the 80s. Uh, so I used to go to him and have uh, drama and, and uh, singing lessons. Um, so one of the first gigs that I did when I left this nine to five was I got this gig, uh, in Germany, um, in this play that took me away for like months. I think it was the first time that I'd been out of the country even at that time. So it was really like heavy shit, man, you know, yeah, leaving the family, that age, yeah. you know, and, uh, I don't think I've, I've, I've even read, read a script up to that point in my life before. So everything was really new. <laughs> and um, that was the first gig. It was the musical called Hair. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah. So it was a European production. <clears throat> and um, so that, yeah, that was my first gig abroad and uh, sort of like really professional. What what uh, what were you casting in, in Hair? Was it, a, was it one was, of the main I roles? Played, I played uh, HUD. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, one of one of the main characters. So that's a pretty fun. heavy, heavy first professional gig. You were in a. It was a heavy first professional gig, man. Like I said, I hadn't read a script before. <laughs> so, and I was in Germany. The production ran in Germany for about four or five months. Wow. So it was away quite a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was heavy. It was a heavy thing, man. But it really kind of cemented. For me, like this is you know this is what I want to do. I want to pursue this whole arts world of music, and I guess up until that point, I guess my first foray into into the music was via a DJ because I used to have a sound system as well. So so just to tie in like where I'm coming from in terms of electronic and drum and bass stuff, it's coming out of my sound system era because. I came up in the in the seventies and, and was around the whole explosion of sound systems in London. And it was fat it was Fat Man Sound that you were following, right? Fat Man Sound that I was following, exactly. Yeah. And uh built my own sound, which got some guys from school. But the thing is, check this out. One of the guys that I had the sound work with is Eastman that runs Cool FM. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> so he knows my history like more than anyone. You know, because we had sound together when we were when we were kids. So yeah, so Fat Man Sound that that's like the starting blocks of of me totally engaged in uh, the dub aesthetics. You know, the the sound system culture, um, now, the music do, coming do, out of Jamaica do, from people like. Can, sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you real quick. Did, didn't you win some kind of uh, talent spot with them? Okay, yeah. So. Um, the Fat Man Sound was um, hosting a talent competition. One of my uh, comrades in, in my sound system heard me singing over a version one afternoon at my house, and he said to me, "Why don't you Why don't you enter yourself for this competition?" And I was like, "Really? You think?" You know, so he's he's kind of spurring me on, you know. So I did, you know, I entered this competition, and then I won it, and uh, I was like, and then I won it again, 
you know, I entered again and I won again. So that was like, for me, just the whole kind of like, yeah, okay, I need to pursue this for real. So yeah. what your sound system, what was your, your sound system called? It was called Lord Daniel. Lord Daniel. Lord, okay. Lord Daniel Haifa. Nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And that was and that was a, and that was like a, a reggae sound system, eh? That was like a reggae dub sound system, yeah. Really reggae. So, at what point did now we're we're kind of deviating a little bit from your kind of main musical pursuit? But at what point did you discover drum and bass? Because I know we're kind of time hopping a little bit. Okay, so I'll tell you what was happening. So, in the early nineties, I'll be in the I'll pop in these bars, you know, and I'll hear this music, and I'll be like what is this? You know, I could hear like the drums were sort of sped up and, you know, and then, and, and, and then the voices, I'll hear these, uh, what we call like pinky and perky voices, you know, where the voices are sped up really high and it's just do my head in, man. It still does. You know, and, but, but the thing is at the same time, I'll hear this, ba- these bass lines and think, ah, this is interesting. And then, you know, when I'm walking through Hackney, you know, the, it, it as the music was progressing and developing, I would hear it pumping out of the cars, you know, pumping out of the cars as they go by, and I'd be like, ah, what is this? And somebody started talking about, oh, it's jungle. It's like, oh, wow, okay. Interesting. Anyway, I remember being at home one day, and my daughter had Cool FM on. I didn't know this at the time, but she had the radio, and she had Cool FM on. I didn't make that connection with Eastman at that time as well. It was much later that I realized that Eastman was uh, <laughs> the head honcho over at Call FM. But anyway, there was this, there was this tune playing, um, and I recognized the melody. I, rec- I recognized the song. It was that song, I need your love oh, yeah. like the sunshine. So th- there's this refrain kicking out um, from, from, from a room, and I'm thinking, I can hear these beats, you know, it's like, I didn't tell you you know, I'm hearing all these rhythms and I'm like, what the hell is this, man? You know, what's, what's, what's going on here? So I started to listen. I went up in a room and I said, like, who is this? And she said, oh, this is Cool FM. You know, didn't, reckon, didn't know what the tune was at the time. But uh, so, yeah, man, that was the tune, really, that kind of really got me really listening. Because I heard a vocal. And, and, I, and it was a tune that I recognized. But at the same time, I heard these beats going on. And I heard this dub bass line, and I was like, "Man, this is this is this is this music's amazing. It's incredible." Anyway, I remember um, going to my first rave in Tottenham. It was uh, uh, Roller Express. What what year is that? This is uh, probably about ninety three. Okay, okay. 93, 94, something like that. Yeah, I remember going to Roll Express and <clears throat> for the first time and just just watching, you know, just standing watching. And then I saw these MCs come out of the stage and it was Navigator, I think it was uh, uh, 5.0, GQ might have been there, I can't remember. But anyway, I remember standing and going, this is... This is this is the sound system in this era. That's what this is. So you taking the, this, the, it, you, the you saw the parallels on, immediately. Then yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the lights came on straight away because I I made I saw the MCs and I saw the whole way <clears throat> that they interacted with the uh, 
to music. I heard, I recognized this drum break, which found out later on it was the Amen break. Because that just used to really fascinate me as it did millions of other people. But when you hear that thing for the first time and you hear it really going off, because remember, like in that, in the early 90s, man, they, they used to chuck that thing up like crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time it, I heard it, it, it was fucking nuts. It, you know, <laughs> so I'm, I'm listening, but I'm thinking Art Blakey, Max Roach, you know, I'm thinking, <clears throat> you know, I'm thinking them kind of guys, you know, they play that stuff, you know, that kind of, you know, 32. 32 notes, 16 notes, you know. So, um, yeah, the lights came on, man. When I went to Roller Express, it was like, okay, I'll, I'll get this. This is, this is, um, this is the extension of sound system culture. This is where it's gone now, you know, and it all, it all just started to make sense. And I just started to go to a bit, a few more events. And, and I remember going to Speed for the first time. I was invited there by a friend of mine. Lady Caroline, um, she used to run a few clubs up in the West End and she told me that this, um, new club was opening up and, you know, you should come down and there's a guy down there named Goldie. He's looking for a vocalist and you should meet him. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so I went down there. I just think it might have been the opening night or the following week or whatever, you know, within a week or two of his, his opening. And I heard Fabio and, uh, Bookham for the first time. <sighs> Wow. See now, up until that point, I hadn't heard that style because that was a whole other style that they were pushing, concentrated there at the speed, you know, which had more of a sort of atmospheric kind of jazzy, funky kind of vibe to it. You know, it was right. a whole kind of other thing, which they gave names to later on, which, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Intelligence jungle. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, I, I was really, I really loved what they were playing. You know, used to be a regular there. Just go there all the time. Yeah. Is that is that where you first started to uh, play with drum and bass as a vocalist? No, where I started playing with drum and bass as a vocalist was at the time of going to speed. There's this band that uh, was put together with myself and a New York drummer, uh, Mark Gilmore, the innermost. Oh, I've, um, yeah, I've heard of him. Okay. Yeah, Mark Gilmore and uh, DJ LaRouge from Tottenham. So Mark Gilmore, I'd seen him a couple of years prior or a year prior. I was in New York at the time, and I remember seeing him in a bar. There was a, he was playing with a DJ, and the DJ had this one jungle tune. And Mark started playing with it live in the, in the, in the, in the bar. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I said, I said to him, like, man, are you into this music? He said, yeah, man, you know, you know, this is, this is, you know, I've been listening to this all my life, he was saying, implying, you know. So I said to him, man, if you, then you need to come to London, man. If you, if you, if you're into this sound, this, this is the sound of London right now. So he did. He came to London. So we used to go to speed, you know, so we used to go to speed and, come back, you know, I had a, we had a little studio and we'd come back and start playing around with breakbeats and stuff, and sampling Mark and his drums. And so that was the kind of like, you know, we were putting together our own take on what we were hearing. You know, I didn't really necessarily want to do that. It just like, it was, a, it became an influence, you know, and, and as a, you know, quote unquote sort of jazz musician with those, you know, that kind of lean and understanding, you, 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 you want to create something 
you you want to speak with your own voice with it, you know. So that's what we were doing with this 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 trio that we had, Project Twenty Three. So it wasn't until um, Goldie invited me to come and sing on the album after meeting him at Speed, and then through that process went on on the road with him. Um, uh, he put together a live band, and, and 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 in the middle of that tour, he mentioned that he was starting this club, Blue Note. So that started first night had a host of different DJs performing. And I remember Bookham was on playing at night. I think uh, Digo was playing. You know, there's a whole... Yeah, all the pioneers, uh, yeah. Yeah, a whole host of different uh, things was happening on, on the first uh, night. I think I remember saying to Goldie, that, you know, because I had my microphone in my car from through the tour, because I think we, we'd come straight up the tour and we went to, he went to open the club that night. So I had my mic and stuff in, in, in my car, and I said to him, I, you know, I got my microphone in the car, you know, if you want me to do some host and whatever. And he said, nah, 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 nah. So, I, you know, just left it at that. And then I think, I don't know, half an hour later, he come back and he said to me, can't get your mic. So I got my mic, plugged it in, and <laughs> that's, where it, that's where it started right there. Yeah, and Gold, so, Goldie is, is kind of, I don't, I don't want to say notoriously, but he's well known for being finicky. When it comes to MCs, oh and man, very yeah. and very well, and very well. high-minded about vocalism in general. Yeah. So, so what was happening after a few weeks? I mean, it was very quiet as well. You know, it was, there wasn't a lot of people coming initially, but then it just started to build. You know, it just became a thing. You know, it's like we were there every Sunday. I'll come down, plug in my mic, just host a little, sing a little. But the thing is, what was happening? was that it was finding its own thing. Because, you know, and you'd have all these producers come down. They cut their, they cut their dog plates on the Saturday at Music House or wherever. And they want to hear it. So they come to Blue Note, and you've got Doc Scott playing Groove Rider, Fabio, uh, Randall, uh, Jumping Jack Frost, Loxie and Inc. You know, and all these DJs are playing dog plates, you know. So everyone's drawing, like, their new sound, their new thing, you know. And the, and the beautiful thing about Blue Note, um, for, for anyone that wasn't able to go there and hear it, it had the most incredible sound system by a crew called Eskimo Noise. And they had what I would describe as the closest sound that I ever heard to sound system. Um, and it was in a really low ceiling room too, so it, it, was a, pat, it compressed it was all low, that It was a low base, ceiling right? room, it was long room, low ceiling. Right, right. The, the, the DJ booth was on the same, you know, same level as the, the punters. So, you know, you could come up and just see what, what was playing. I mean, you, you wouldn't know anything anyway, because it just had the music house stamp on it. <laughs> so you yeah. wouldn't necessarily know what right. was playing, but you could still, you know, just be in, totally engaged with, with, with everyone just around with the booth because it was that, you had that kind of close proximity and, um, you know, just it, it was that intimate. And for and let's and, and let for the listeners, I, I just want to uh, be clear for some people because uh, you know obviously mm -hmm. some of, some of the younger people might not realize how important Blue Note was, but Blue oh. Note Blue Note itself was on a Sunday. It started at what? It's like six p.m. Right? Blue Note was Blue Note was on a Sunday. It was seven to twelve o'clock. Yeah, so like after dinner, it, you know, seven seven p.m. to midnight. And I tell you. Man, I heard some of the most incredible sounds down there. I mean, imagine hearing, you know, Locus or what's that Dillinger tune, man? I used to love uh, oh, geez. terrain. Which one? <laughs> but, you know, just all that music, like fresh off the 
Fukuoka. Right. And because it was a Sunday night after a full weekend of raving, the people that were there, like they were the heads, they, they wanted to hear like the music. Well, it was all the producers. Initially, it was all the producers, and you know, come, you know, check out stuff, you know. But then it became like this real kind of, you know, as Goldie ascended, and you know, Timeless album came out, and and um, it, it became like a real huge celebrity haunt, you know. So I'll be standing up there with my microphone, and I see like MPs, models, bankers footballers like and this is know, and this is still the first location correct this is all happened in the first location blue hoxton square yeah it just became this massive um everybody went to the balloon <laughs> if you ask anybody today to tell you they went to the balloon it's like woodstock yeah <laughs> everybody was at balloon you know so yeah it just became this really huge incubator if you like for the music that uh kind of, you know, Goldie was interested in, in, in highlighting and pushing, you know. Um, time hopping just a little bit, you know, if you, I'm looking back <laughs> at your, I actually went on Beatport and looked at the tunes that you've been on and I looked at them chronologically, which I usually mm-hmm. never do. And one of the things I've noticed is you've, uh, you've collaborated with MC Fats a number of times. So mm-hmm. I was going to say, describe your, your relationship with Fats and mm-hmm. how, what's the process like when you two collaborate? Well, me and Fats um, click um, in a big way because we come from the same era and we, we come out of the sort of sound system era and culture. So that's that's, that's one thing. Um, but also, he's, he's just a brother, man. I, I just I just I just get on with him. You know, I just you know I just love him to bits, and you know we just have a lot of love and mutual respect for each other's um, art. You know, so. And we just find that, you know, when we get together and do music, man, it's, it's really easy. You know, it's, it's, it's never a struggle. And it's, you know, we're always sort of happy with the stuff that we do. So we continue that, you know, and he's, you know, he's a great buddy. You know, I speak to him nearly every week. I think probably what really cemented our relationship was the fact that he came out to Brazil in, I think, around, around about 2005, was it? Something like that. He came out to Brazil. Um, Patif, DJ Patif invited him out. Patif was working on his album. And the facts came out and spent uh, about two or three weeks. And, and we did some crazy hanging, man. You know, just the biggest laughs, man. You know, we met Pele. I mean, uh, Fats is a huge football fan. So we're sitting in, a, in the... Uh, in a hotel breakfast bar and me him and Pachif eating breakfast and then all of a sudden I looked up and I saw Kelly at the, at, you know just getting himself some breakfast and I was like you're kidding me I said that's Pele <laughs> Pachif couldn't move Pachif, Pachif actually could not move he couldn't he, he froze like a statue right there and then I said to Fats I said I said, well, I said to Bosman come on man let's, let's, let's go and speak to Pele man let's get a picture so Patif couldn't move. He, you know, I could still see him there sitting there frozen with a spoon halfway in his mouth. He's not moving. He just can't <laughs> believe that we've come to Brazil and we're sitting at the breakfast table with Pele. Yeah. <laughs> and so that, cool. so that was the moment. So, you know, just that whole time in Brazil with, with, uh, Fats was, was, um, just, man, just really, really beautiful time, man. Um, when you collaborate with him on a track, do you actually get together, or do you? Is it like a separate studio kind of thing, or? Both? Well, we've done we've done it both ways. I okay. mean, he'll he'll send me something, an idea, you know, look, you know, 
is the, is the thing you know I've done a little thing you know see if you if you can hear something else on it you know sometimes I do sometimes I don't and when I do then it's kind of like I send it back see what you think and you know I'll edit it in a, in a, in a way and then we send it to the producer say look boom here you go see what we can do with this and it's pretty fluid like that you know it's 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 now it's 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 that process you know you send something over or I'll be at his house and he'll say, have a listen to this, you know, and then we jump on it, catch an idea. You know, it's, it's pretty easy, man. I love, I love working with Fats because it's really, it's really easy. It's not, um, it's not, str- it's never a struggle, you know, and I love when music's like that, when it's, when it's organic and it's, and it's not an effort to say, you know. He was having a, he was having some problems right after Sun and Bass. How's he doing now? He's doing a lot better. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he had uh, two or three operations. Um, oh, did he? he had that many? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I know. He's, I know he's a little better. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we'll, you know, we'll we'll um, see him out on the basis here. Yeah. Yeah. I I was joke that he's like the he's the Nate dog of drum and bass. So. I mean, it, I mean, the thing is, man, when you think about all the tunes that his voice has been on, he he really is the voice of drum and bass, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, him, yeah, you know, just, just, just the catalog of stuff. I mean, some of the stuff I didn't even know he was, it was his voice. It was only up until recent times that I realized that it was him, his voice on Rinse Out the Sound. All right. Because that just sounded like someone from Jamaica, you know? So I was like, wow. You know, and I remember hearing that tune in the in the club first time. It's like, whoa! Wait, did I hear? Did I see a clip of you and him jamming on that at Sun and Bass recently? Was that you did? That's you right. Did. Okay, definitely. Yeah. No, we love we love to get we love we love to get sticky man at Sun and Bass man. So it's just, it's just a, yeah. I was gonna say stepping out of uh, stepping out of drum and bass for a minute. If you just look at your Wikipedia page and you look at the <laughs> the number of artists that you've worked with. Um, I think a lot of drum and bass fans, especially, uh, especially the younger ones who might really only be familiar with like mm-hmm. the stuff coming out in hospital and stuff like that. I think mm-hmm. that they would be surprised at some of the names you've worked with, especially <laughs> though people on like the rock and roll under the spectrum. So like I noticed the who and Keith Richards were on there and mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering how, wh- what you did with them and kind of how those came about. Okay. So let's rewind to the eighties. I was doing a lot of studio work in terms of I was getting a lot of jing- doing a lot of jingles and uh, singing on a lot of uh, doing a lot of background work for pop artists and you know whoever wanted um, background singing. Um, I was also part of the the LCGC London Community Gospel Choir, so I they get a lot of interesting gigs. One of which was Stevie Wonder. We we get into that uh, in a minute. Um, and so uh, I remember getting a call from a friend of mine, Gina Foster, and she mentioned that uh, there was a session with Pete Townsend at his studio. He was working on an album called Iron Man, which, which featured uh, people like John Lee Hooker, Nina Simone. It was a really, really interesting record, actually, uh, one of his solo projects. Um, not a lot of people might know it either. But, uh, oh, yeah, Iron Man. So... I was called in to do some background stuff and uh, sort of feature on one uh, one of the songs as well. And, uh, yeah, just sort of kindling an interest in a relationship. I mean, you know, he told me about how he was a big Sonora fan, 
which I was like, wow, I was really shocked. You know, Pete Townsend, he's got all Sunrise records. You know, he's a huge fan. Then I discovered right. that Townsend's father was a jazz musician. So, you know, we had that in common. You know, we talk a lot about that kind of stuff. Then he said to me, uh, in the process of sort of back and forth to the studio working on his album, he said, look, you know, the Who are going out on a 25th anniversary tour. Would you be interested in coming out with us? I was like, I thought, I thought for all of 10 seconds. <laughs> and then I said, yes. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? I'm off the stage if you want. Shit. <laughs> so, uh, that was my first time to America. Uh, what a way to see America with the Who. That was 89 on their 25th anniversary tour. So I've gone from sort of singing in, you know, jazz clubs, 50, 60 people, to singing on the stage with 60,000 people every night for three months. That was heavy, bro. So you were doing backup vocals for them? I was doing background vocals for them. Wow. They had, they, had a, they had a massive uh, uh, band for this tour sort of, you know, five-piece brass section, big uh, percussion, uh, Lindsay, Lynn Scott, percussionist, um, Simon Phillips on drums. Right, right. You know, three background singers. Yeah, it was a huge band, you know, and um, did the whole North American tour. You know, yeah, it was, it was, it was, man, I'm still buzzing. <laughs> I think, I think that tour might have come to Buffalo. Where I'm yeah, from, definitely. yeah, and I remember I was like, man, I kind definitely of would have liked to have seen that. I was uh, eighty nine. I was in eighth grade, eighth grade. So yeah, I remember I want I wanted to go. I forget why I couldn't. Yeah, definitely yeah. in Buffalo. I remember. So what about Keith, now with Keith Richards? How did that how did that come about? Okay, with Keith Richards was ah yeah. So it was an event that took place in Seville. And they just built this new stadium. This was probably around 1991, something like that. And uh, they had this festival called the Guitar Legends. So, yeah, Guitar Legends, Seville Festival in a new stadium. I was working with a lot of... Uh, I was called, I was part of an ensemble uh, doing the background vocals. And I ended up doing stuff with uh, Keith Richards in there. Wow. So that's how I met and and ended up jamming and you know, doing stuff. So it sounds like in general, your whole career, you've kind of taken this approach where you have uh, absolutely zero hesitation about doing kind of like anything. Like you, you go full bore into whatever you do, even if you don't really have experience in that realm. Yeah. I mean, I still, I still try and be selective about it as well. Oh, no, I don't mean to say that you're not choosy, but I mean, you don't have any fear, I guess I should say. No, and I think that that's what the uh, the jazz shops uh, give you as well, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think I think maybe, you know, those those tools give you that kind of confidence and the ammunition to approach anything. I guess, what I've, I think the probably scariest thing that I've ever done in my career was when I did this jazz opera. Um, yeah, I, was, I wanted to ask you about that, actually. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, a friend of mine from way, way back, Julian Joseph, the broadcaster, pianist, composer. Um, he had written this um, his first opera, a jazz opera. I'd run, I hadn't seen it for many years, and I ran into him in Brazil, and he said to me, "Look, you know, I've got this, um, I've got this new work, this opera, jazz opera, and you're the only one that can do it." I was like, "Okay," <laughs> you know, after so the you know, after getting over the flattery 
and I saw what it was. I was like, okay, so there's three of no, there's yeah, there's three other opera singers, you know, proper opera singers, and I'm the lead in this. In this, I'm the I'm I'm, I'm the main, main protagonist, and I don't you I don't have an opera voice because this is the thing about the opera now is that you don't use a mic. It's about it's about filling a space with just your voice. And I'm like, I, okay, yeah, I did study that technique, but I've never used it before. Because remember, as I said, you know, I studied from that book. So I was like, okay, so once I got over that fear and hurdle, and I remember going to the first rehearsal, and everyone was off book already. And, and I looked around for a few minutes, and I thought, you know what? I need to fucking get out of here, man. <laughs> I was I was fucking scared living shakes was going on man because I was like you have really stepped out of your depth now. you know and I just, uh, really I, I, I bottled it like you would not imagine and I turned around to look at the door and I was like but then the voice said to me yeah but Cleve if you walk out of this door what are you saying to yourself what are you you know come on man confront your fears man this is this is another challenge go for it you know, you've got this, you've got the, uh, endorsement of the composer. He believes that you can do it. Come on, Cleve, step up. Took a deep breath, man. Turn around. And I went in. And bro, I didn't sleep for weeks, man. Just trying to get my, just get up to speed with everything. Right. Trust me, man. It was, it was, it was some hard shit. I mean, the composer was still writing stuff like a day or two before the, we, we did the first performance. It was like that. So what was the opera, what was the, the, the concept of the opera? Okay, well, it was called Bridge Tower. Um, George, George Paul Green Bridge Tower is his name. And he was uh, a musician uh, of, of African descent. His father was uh, from Barbados and his mother was Polish. You know, he had this uh, dual sort of identity. And um, he was courted by um, Beethoven. So in essence, he was actually... We recognized him because we're talking about now 17th century. He, he was caught, he was courted by, you know, Beethoven and he was, um, you know, in, in essence, sort of like the first black European superstar. I mean, this kid, this kid was like, he, uh, came to, he lived in Poland. He came and did some of his first big concerts in London and Brighton as well. He was, uh, again, courted by the, uh, Prince of Wales at the time. He was the darling of Europe, George Paul Green Bridgetail. So he's telling his story, you know, his whole kind of relationship with Beethoven, who he fell out with over a woman, <laughs> as the story goes. Yeah, it's just a really fascinating story. His journey in it and his story he ended up dying in in, uh, in London. He's buried in London. Wow. So I played the the adult version of Bridgetail. Oh, okay. There's another 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 kid playing the. Uh, the child, uh, bridge tower. So yeah, so that was, so it was telling that story, you know, but in, in a sort of opera jazz way that Julian is kind of developing in his form of, uh, of music where he's taking the sort of the ideas and the, and the sort of the structures of, of, of opera, but telling it with through the jazz aesthetic in that he's, it's still sort of like jazz harmony and jazz rhythm. You know, but it's done with this sort of opera in, in the sense that it's it's done in a style where we're not using microphones. You know, so op- opera, opera technicality then. Yeah, opera technicality, there you go. 
So now I had to get my voice up to speed. But again, see now the book and my studies saved my life. Your studies with Arnold because, Rose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because even though I hadn't used that that technique, I understood how to produce that sound because I studied it. So here was an opportunity for me to get into it. You know, there's stuff on YouTube you can listen to. Yeah. If you, if you, if you look, I don't know if you, you may have heard some stuff. I don't know. Yeah. But if you, yeah. Um, I definitely encourage our, the listeners to, to, to do the same. Bridge Tower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bridge Tower. Absolutely. That's but yeah, that's, that's kind of a fascinating, uh, collaboration. So that kind of brings me to my next, my next question. You know, what are some of the more, uh, I guess personally meaningful collaborations that you've been a part of? You did mention Stevie Wonder. Well, yeah, I mean, that was, that was really, I mean, imagine as a kid, I'm, I, I, I remember blindfolding myself, trying to imagine what it would be like to be blind, you know, such a big, huge fan of Stevie Wonder. And I'm just trying to understand how does he have these, how does he see so much and yet he can't see with his eyes? Yeah. That used to just really fascinate me. Like the stories that he will tell with lyrics a melody and in song. I couldn't, I couldn't understand how he just, he just appeared to me as someone that had deep vision, but yet he couldn't use his eyes. And that, that used to really, really fascinate me. It still does. Um, so having the opportunity to be in the studio with him for a whole day was just, I mean, you know, if I, if I, if I had died, man, that after that session, I would have been like, yeah, Take me now. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm ready. You know, I've I've, I've done I've done, <laughs> I've done my thing with Stevie. You know? But yeah, it was it was um, again. I got a call. I was at home and I got a call from a dear friend of mine, another singer, Paul Johnson, and he said to me, "Yeah, there's this session going on at Sam West Studio in West London um, with Stevie Wonder. Um, you need to be there at two o'clock or something." He said, and then he just put the phone down. Calling back, I said, Paul, stop playing, man. Is this for real? He said, No, 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 it's for real. You know, there's a session, you know, there's a, there's a choir that's been put together for a Stevie, you know, you need to be there. Oh, I was like, Oh my God. Put the phone down, looked in the mirror, slapping myself. Is this really happening? You know, anyway, got to the studio, met some of the other choir members there. We we're all in the, uh, foyer reception area and um all of a sudden one of Steve <laughs> one of Stevie's entourage comes down and says, um introduces himself and then he said, Oh, um Stevie Wonder's not ready quite yet because he's still writing the song. I was like, What? Stevie Wright Stevie Wonder is still writing the song? Anyway. An hour or so goes by, he comes down, introduces himself, plays us the song. We go up in the studio and he plays us the song. Bro, do you know the album um, Characters? Yes, actually, I do. Yeah. Do you know the song Free? Oh, yeah. Well, that's the tune. That's the tune. You listen, there's the choir on there. That's us. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So, man, yeah, that is probably one of the most incredible. And, and, and also maybe sitting in with Art Blakey. Oh yeah, and Ronnie Scotts. Yeah, yeah. I got invited to come sit up. I mean, <laughs> you can't. 
those those moments, man, yeah, they're just yeah. That's it. You you know, uh, the fascinating thing about Stevie Wonder to me was always, um, I, I play drums. So I always used to, mm. I was always kind of amazed when I think I, I was in my, I think I was in high school when I realized he was actually playing most of the instruments on his albums, including yeah. the drums. And I was like, how the right. fuck is he doing that? Because, you know, yeah. you have to be so spatially aware of where they are. Yeah. And I know some drummers that close their eyes when they play, but yeah. he, can't see them at all and he his drums were fucking great man he's yeah. a fucking oh, great yeah. drummer that that always blew my mind about him just some of those yeah. those people out there that are like prince they're just these these it's like they're not even human they're like aliens you know what i mean they're aliens on earth yeah to, to play to play various instruments at such um, a high level is is, is something else effortlessly it really, <laughs> yeah it really, it really is you know um so speaking of speaking of aliens, I actually I remember a post you did sometime last year, and I, um, you know, you talk about being a vocal explorer, and I, I think maybe the 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 marquee vocal explorer of our time is probably Bobby McFerrin. So mm. I wanted to to ask what kind of impact Bobby McFerrin has on you as an artist, has on your your awareness as an artist. Well, last year I most beautiful opportunity to be on the same stage with him up the London Jazz Festival he does these uh, concerts with was it five, four or five other vocalists and every city goes and he gets a choir and I was part of this choir in London so I got to meet my absolute vocal master teacher <laughs> upfront personal um yeah, Bobby McFerrin is, uh, yeah, man, he's, he's another alien from some other planet, man. And, and to the, my because, listeners, too, I gotta, I gotta encourage all the listeners to please go out and explore Bobby McFerrin because most people, oh. especially most Americans, just think of him as don't worry, be happy. And no, he, that no, is a no, tiny no, little no, fragment a of little his career. Tiny yeah. little fragment of what he does. So then I remember hearing him when he came over to London and did his first uh, solo voice concerts. And um, up until that point, I'd heard, you know, people like John Hendricks, Al Jarreau, and uh, who else? King Pleasure, people like that, you know, Mark Murphy. But then there was this guy that was singing, and I could actually hear all the other instruments and in accompaniment in just his voice. Hmm. I'm like, how is this working? I can hear all the harmony. I can hear the, the rhythm. You know, he beats his chest so you get the rhythm. You know, he sings the bass notes so you can hear like the, the, the chords. <laughs> I was like, what is going on here, man? <laughs> so he, he, he became my teacher really over the years. You know, I, I definitely sort of studied his style. I wanted to figure out how to do that. Oh, how yeah. do you do that? That's why I say vocal explorer, man. I love, I love all the different aspects of the voice, man. Yeah. So yeah, I love, I love the MC and stuff to, you know, singing ballads to singing totally abstract music, which I do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of stuff where I'm singing wordless and, you know, just kind of, um, more improv stuff, which is kind of the lot of stuff I'm into at the moment. But yeah, Bobby McFerrin is, is, uh, it's a wonder that everyone should hear before they leave Earth. Absolutely. Absolutely. So 
let's step outside of using your voice for music and using your voice for other things for a minute. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts, even though it was very short lived, was uh, DJ Flight's uh, next chapter or kind of continuation of her radio show. And she mm-hmm. ha- happened to mention um, the multicultural roots of drum and bass, but you wouldn't know that necessarily by looking at some agency rosters. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to I wanted to touch a little bit on politics and and social issues with you. Um, for me, drum and bass is 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 black music. It, it it came from a number of music that were pioneered by black artists. You know, if you look at reggae and hip hop and techno and all these things, they have black roots. And drum mm. and bass itself has um, black roots. Uh, it used to, when it was called when it was first called jungle, that it had you know derogatory connotations and stuff like that. And obviously, the the, the music itself has has grown globally. Um, and I'm wondering what you think of the state of diversity within drum and bass music that you might be aware of. Now I know your, your career obviously is extremely multifaceted. So, you know, you may not be paying the closest attention to how to drum and bass specifically, but I do notice that a lot of the young and up and coming producers out there are, are white. And I think a lot of people associate raving, uh, mm-hmm. with being white, especially outside of, uh, the UK, definitely it's kind of considered a white thing in America. Um, and so I wondered, uh, do you feel, do you ever feel like maybe drum and bass is losing its touch with its roots? Do you feel like people are maybe not seeing the real diversity within drum and bass music? Ah, good question. I guess if you, if you parallel it with hip hop and jazz and a lot of the musics that were developed by the black community in in times gone by it always um you you know you always find that uh those with the power and the money become the sort of the 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 controllers if you like right right and i don't think that's any different today yeah, you know, it's it, it's 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 how the uh, the society is and was built. I don't think we live in a in a balanced society, um, in a fair and equal society. I think you know, there's a lot of systematic things that are in place that stop people of color, women. You know, people of different uh, sexual orientation in, in 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 getting on in this in this world, in 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 in, in, in positions and, and stuff like that. So, you know, we we we've got a long, we've still got a long way to go in terms of, you know, creating a society that is fair and equal and balanced. Yeah. So if you if we talk if we talk about jungle, yeah, okay, the, yeah, the music was developed by. A specific community, but then when it starts to develop and become influential outside of that community, then it takes on a whole different persona and face. But then, what's new? <laughs> right. Um, mm. In this past year, um, there have been a couple of instances where uh, London Electricity. 
posted on Instagram or whatever. I, I'm on Instagram, so that's what I, what mm. I follow. Uh, a couple of posts that had, you know, political leanings. Um, and there was a lot, there's a lot of negative feedback you received from people who felt like, you know, drum and bass music or music in general should be free of political and social context, et cetera. People were actually kind of offended by him coming out in support of, um, you know, uh, remain politics and things like that. Uh, when you post on social media, um, <clears throat> about particular issues, um, do you ever receive any negative feedback from fans or? Oh, always, always. You do? Oh man, I've got, I've, I, I used to get trolled like crazy on my, on my main Facebook page. Jesus Christ, man. I mean, uh, yeah, the trolls came from me, man. Hardcore. <laughs> so you know, does that mean when I start talking about, see, the thing is, is that I, 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 on my Facebook, I have a Facebook page uh, where I talk about um, everything and everything. And the thing is, for me, just get back to that word politics. For me, politics is everything. Yeah, it's, I agree. Politics is when you decide what you're going to have for breakfast. Politics is when, whether you're going to get the bus or you're going to get the tube. Politics is whether you're going to vote or you're not going to vote. Politics is everything. So I can't separate it from my from from everything that I say and do because it's it's in and part of everything. So you know I don't I don't you know it's and and again it's kind of like it's coming out of what I grew up listening you know because I grew up listening to reggae music. Mm-hmm. Come on, man! They're, they're talking about all kind of politics. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, and and, and, all, and all the my fa- all my favorite music is all politically driven artists. You know, music sound. So, do the trolls make you? Uh, have, have they over time made you careful in how you bring these issues up, or well, do you just well, do you not is, really care? Do you? Is, well, <clears throat> the thing is, is. Once you realize what you're dealing with, you just I just stop feeding it. You know, once once I realize that this person's just really here to agi- agitate and not really engage in the actual post. You know, they 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 they're trying to derail the post. You know, you just after a while you get really really good at spotting these these people. You know, and then you just realize that look, you know, I'm not going to spend my day just fartassing around with this troll. I'm just going to either delete you, block you, or just not, or just let you rant on. Or delete your stuff. You know, if it becomes really insulting, then I'll just delete it. So I don't really, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've learned how to manage all that stuff for myself because I've, you know, been, I've been on social media a while now. <laughs> but there's, there's artists out there though that, that I think they, they refrain from taking any kind of stand because they feel like they might alienate some of their following or some of their fans. Do you ever think that way or do you just simply say what's on your mind regardless? Well, no, no, because the thing is, is that, you know, we live in a society where um, there's a lot of stuff going on, man, in America and around the world and in Europe right now and that needs people to speak out, you know. You know, you, oh, yeah. you know to think nothing will change unless you speak on it. You know, so those that don't speak, to me, they're, they're, they, they endorse the bullshit that go on because they don't say nothing about it. You know, I mean, if you, if you, you know, if you're not going to say anything about if if something's going on in your community and, and going on around the world and you don't 
you don't feel the need to talk about it publicly or in your music or I mean, what are you really saying? You know, what are you what what is what is, what is really oh I might offend somebody if I really say what's on my mind. I think that we need more people like that today. That's how things get changed. Could you imagine if Martin Luther King decided to just shut up and not say anything? Well, I mean, if you look at, at some of our bigger our bigger musical stars, you know, Taylor Swift was was kind of notorious for refusing to comment on politics in general, and she recently did. And I mean, people fucking came out with pitchforks. It was bizarre. Yeah, but the thing is, you're going to get that. You know, the thing is, is that you're not. You know, not everyone's going to agree with you. I mean, I've had that. I mean, I get pitchforks, everything. <laughs> I've had it all, but that's not going to stop me from saying what I need to say. Oh, and yeah, I mean, it might mean, you know, whatever it means. I mean, I just think that you've got to have some kind of principles and some balls about who you are and what you're defending and just stand on it regardless. That's what being a man is. So last year you, I, I don't know if you still are, um, but you were teaching to some degree, correct? Yeah, I still am. I, I teach at the... Uh, to a conservatoire in London. Um, I'm actually heading there this evening for a meeting. Um, the uh, Trinity Laban uh, Music, Dance and uh, Theatre Conservatoire. So what is it that you're teaching exactly? I'm teaching voice. Uh, uh, I'm teaching voice and composition. Uh, yeah, vocal improvisation and uh, voice development. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm acting as a mentor for them, really. You know, help them out, just give them advice. Tell them about my journeys and share stuff with them. Assess their work. And you've uh, you, you've also recently been made a member of the, uh, the Order of the British Empire, correct? <laughs> yes, they gave me a they gave me a gong <laughs> for services to music. Now, what were your okay. now, now? What were your feelings on that? On on that? Did, were they complex at all? Initially, initially, it was extremely complex because I'm thinking to myself. Have they got the right person here? Because I, you know, I cast these people out, you know, in my posts. Right. So initially I was kind of like, they got the wrong person, man. This, this can't be right. You know, they're going to give me a call. What's going on here? But so anyway, after doing some researching and speaking to some people, I just came to the decision that I'm going to take it and, um, you know, I can use it. But did it feel weird, though, like accepting that from, you know, the empire? Well, well, the thing is, is that, of course it does, because that name is still an angst for a, a lot of us, especially black people. Um, right. You know, the whole history of empire, of course. At the same time, we need to recognize that that empire don't exist anymore, like it did. Um, yes, they, so, and, and, and I totally, 100% agree that that name needs to, they need to find another name. But the thing is, my whole thing is like, look, you know, I, I'm now in a position where I'm not no longer this this guy ranting away on Facebook. They they have to take me seriously now. And furthermore, I can have conversations with people that I couldn't have before. So it gives me a louder voice in the right places to make the changes that I want to see in our society. So I think about it like that as well. You know that okay, no, it's not. I I don't. I'm not down with that whole empire thing. You must be crazy. No, I'm not. At the same time, I have a louder voice, man. So it's basically, it's an, it's an honor and a tool then, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So uh, going forward, 
anything coming up in the pipeline that you want to talk about? Well, this year is the big six zero for you. For me, you look good. For you look good, man. You're aging well. Well, <laughs> I, I I work on it, man. I work very hard on it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just planning some stuff for this year. Any big projects you're allowed to talk about? Not really. <laughs> Not at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's some uh, writing sort of commission things that I'm involved in. Um, I'm trying to actually looking at getting all my projects kind of spinning. You know, are there any are there any particular uh, realms that you want to work in that you haven't really yet, or people you want to work with that you haven't? Yeah, yet? I mean, the thing is, being <clears throat> at this conservatoire that. Uh, specializes in the three disciplines of dance, theater, and music. I mean, I would really love to explore those three elements, you know, just in a holistic and sort of cohesive way. I think that's what's really exciting me at the moment, you know, just looking at maybe um, developing um, long-form pieces, you know, suites right in the suite or something like that, you know, where... Ah. You have four or five different types of movement going on, and you, but you have movement as well. You know, you have dance, and you have this, the, the the kind of storytelling, and you have the music. So I'm, yeah, I'm really kind of interested in that idea now. So um, you, you think that you think that might be, you know, that the concept of what an, what is and is not an album anymore is changing, obviously. Um, so do you think that might be the, oh, the direction for your next your next uh, your next solo effort? It's quite possible. Yeah, it really has changed, isn't it? I mean, you don't... Who listens to albums anymore? Especially, like, when I say that, I mean, of course we listen to albums, but I just mean, like, you know, the young the generation now, you know, they listen to tunes. Yeah, you're almost better off putting out EPs and stuff now. It's, it's interesting the way things yeah. have changed. They're going back to singles-oriented music the way it used to be in the, the 50s and early 60s. It's, it's an interesting change. Well, you see, the other thing is, I just find a lot of the time when I listen to an album, there's one or two tracks on there that I like, and that's it. And there might be 20 things on there. You know, I'm like that like with, a, with almost every album. Like, no, it doesn't matter what time period it came from. I, I you know, I, I call, I, I refer to perfect albums where there's very few albums I can listen to. I, I totally front to agree back, with you. Front to back. I of totally this. agree with you. And five of those albums are Steve's from the 70s that I can listen to every track. There's a period of his music from, I don't know, maybe 72 right up until maybe the end of the 70s, early 80s, where it's about five or six albums where everything on there is just like, for me anyway, just, yeah. Like what? Like like music of my mind, uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, Inner Visions, uh, yeah. uh, the first album he did when he gained his independence from Motown, Think of, uh, Think of Me as a Soldier, I think the album's called. It's like um, most albums, there's like one or two tunes on there that you just, you can't stop playing. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that album that has everything on it that you just love, it's rare. And, mm. you know, I, I think about a lot of my favorite artists and they've, they've all done tracks that I could, I could throw in the garbage. Not that they're bad, mm. but they're not, they're not, they don't make an imprint on your mind. Mm. You know what I mean? So... All right. Well, look, man, I'll let you go. I've, I've, I've kept you for, for quite a while here. Um, but, uh, this, this conversation has, it means a great deal to me. So I, I thank you for your time, man. Man, we've done 
an hour and a half on my I know. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff, man. Really lovely talking to you, bro. Definitely. And uh, I'll check, with, check in with you later in the year, all right? Okay, bro. You take all care, right. Man. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Troubles in